Murfreesboro.com. WGNS Murfreesboro. W270AF Murfreesboro. W263AI Murfreesboro Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network. FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro. FM 100.5 Smyrna. And online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line. Talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Bart Walker. Well, good morning to you. Welcome in. This morning, we are looking at lawns and gardens, and we have a person with us who can help you. So if you need some guidance, maybe you're sort of at wit's end as to what to do. The yard is still brown, and you're ready for green. Our phone number, 615-893-1450. 615-893-1450 is our number. Extension agent Justin Stefanski is with us this morning. Justin, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Doing great. Good to have you with us today. Good to be here. As you look at the calls and questions you've been getting over the past couple of weeks, have there been any things that have sort of kept reoccurring? There has been. I think gardens are struggling right now for a lot of folks. And, you know, humidity and rain are, are a combination for diseases. And I think that's what we've been seeing a lot of here in the last probably the last month or so you know we've had an abnormally wet summer you think back to last year in june and early july it was it was bone dry for weeks on end whereas this year we've had fairly consistent rains and not just a little bit of rain but look at yesterday i mean it rained for hours on end and the day before so you know with all the humidity and all the moisture now gardens need rainwater obviously but too much of a good thing is not always the best thing uh and you know the tomatoes are struggling uh, peppers, cucumbers, you name it. Anything that's out in the garden right now is having some issues with disease. That's been a trend here in the last few weeks. And you say it's humidity that's causing the problem. We call it the disease triangle. So you got to have a pathogen, a host, and the environmental conditions. So we've had all three here in the last several weeks. So the humidity, obviously, here in Tennessee, you know, I've been here for over 30 years. I'm still not acclimated to the humidity. I walk outside and just instantly start sweating in the summer. Uh, so we have humid weather. We've got moist conditions. And when you have both of those in combination it usually is a breeding ground for uh conditions for disease and unfortunately that's what we've seen a lot of here in the last couple weeks so there's nothing we can do about the humidity but what can we do about the disease anything well there's a lot of things you can do in the garden so we're just talking about veggie gardens here you know airflow and sunlight is key you know, and a lot of folks, you know, they want to plant more tomatoes closer together. They want to maximize their space, especially if you're gardening in a small area. You know, a lot of folks are doing raised bed gardens now. But some of the drawbacks of cramping everything in is it does not allow for good air movement. And if we think about, you know, as, as rainwater sits on those leaves and humidity and moisture gathers, we want there to be enough wind movement to dry that foliage off and also to let sunlight penetration in to help dry it off. And think about when we water. So if it does get hot and dry and we're watering, For a lot of folks, they're watering later in the evening after work, you know, myself included in a lot of ways. But, you know, overhead irrigation and watering with a a sprinkler or a hose on top of that foliage right before nighttime is, is a recipe for disaster. So understanding that maybe watering earlier in the day, allowing those plants time to dry off, pruning from the ground up, you know, on tomatoes in particular, a lot of our diseases are soil born or they can harbor in the soil so if you've got uh, foliage or limbs that are close to the ground and those disease spores are in the soil they're absolutely going to splash up onto the plants so keeping those limbs pruned up at least a foot uh, is good practice in my opinion very good so uh, those are some things you can be doing 
But uh, if you're having some issues with particular items, just text us or call us, whichever is best for you. But the number is the same for both of them, 615-893-1450. We have a question here from a listener who's saying, I have not put out my tomatoes yet, and I love tomatoes. Uh, We just moved recently. Uh, Is it too late to try a group of tomatoes? You know, I think you're right on the cusp of it being too late, but go out to the garden today and get them in the ground, and you may just squeak by. Depending on the variety, you know, some varieties will take longer to, to mature and ripen than others. Uh, you know, there's a certain variety called Early Girl. Obviously, it's it's given that name because it's an early ripening tomato. But, you know, if you get them in the ground this week or, or today is best, I think you might just squeak by. Very good. Yeah. So uh, is there a favorite that you have, a favorite type of tomato? Do any of them? I know we have a, a lot of choices. There's many, but, many uh, choices. does one do better in certain weather conditions? Well, something that I always tell people to keep in mind, you know, we love our heirloom tomatoes. Heirlooms are those old-fashioned varieties. My favorite heirloom is a Cherokee Purple. And if you've ever seen a Cherokee Purple, they're ugly as can be on the outside, but they have a purple-reddish, blotchy skin to them but you slice into it and it's just got the most rich purpley you know flesh to it and you put that on a blt in the summer and there's nothing that can beat it you know that's one of my favorite heirlooms but keep in mind heirlooms are not bred for their resistance to disease so the hybrids are what have really come onto the market in the last 50 or 60 years and there's so many different varieties out there and if you look at a seed packet it'll say usually f1 hybrid is what it'll say under the name you know one of my favorite hybrids is the early girl simply because it is an earlier ripening tomato so from the time you put it in the ground for the time you're getting tomatoes will be about 20 days or 30 days shorter than a traditional variety that you're going to be using so those are two of my favorites there's a ton of varieties out there um you know there's not one that really is going to totally never have a disease that's what i tell folks you know it may have resistance but the reality of it is we live in middle tennessee where it's hot and it's humid and we're going to see tomato diseases so do yourself a favor and do a little research on those varieties. You know, they'll have codes on the tags, and those codes will correspond with what diseases they have and natural resistance to. But again, it doesn't mean they're going to be immune from them. Okay, so the word to the wise, uh, get started quickly. Quickly, absolutely. So and you can replant other things in the garden. You know, we're right on that cusp. You know, you could do green beans again. You know, you could do squash again. You know, you still have time, but I would try to get it in the ground, you know, today. Now, when when you say we're on the cusp, are we about to see a change in weather? Are we going to see a cooling trend? Not necessarily, uh, you know, immediately. But what what we're doing is, if you get it in the ground now, that gives you enough time for those plants to mature and actually be able to produce harvestable fruit before first frost. So that first frost date is what we're up against, basically. So the farther into the summer you go, if you were to plant, let's say, a tomato in August, you know, you really don't have enough time for that plant to develop, to mature, and to produce a ripe fruit before that first frost will get it. Okay. And what about uh, this person's asking, a, a different person's asking, about the, uh, the fogs in August? Uh, any truth in that? The fogs in August. I may need some more information. Oh, okay. I think what they're referring to is the old folklore way of determining what the winter is going to be like. 
Oh, see, I'm not even familiar with this. I'm a Yankee, so this, okay. this may be Southern lore. Um, yeah, I've lived here a long time, but I'm not familiar with that one. So if we see fogs in August, the lore is that we'll have a, a bad winter. Is that the methodology? I think of the what thinking? it is is how many fogs you see know. in August is how many snows you're going to have. Interesting. See, I've learned something right here, right now. And there's something else. You have a, a retired person uh, over at uh, the Ag Center. Uh, Dwayne Trail. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, you, you know Dwayne? I, I know the name. I don't know if I've ever met him, but I, I know of him. You need to go out of your way to meet him. Uh, he is really sharp on that. He can tell you the stories about the woolly worms. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. He can tell you the stories about the spider webs, uh, about which way the smoke rises when you start a fire outside, you know, as the weather gets cooler. Interesting. Uh, so... All has, uh, it's very scientific. <laughs> <laughs> I like this fogs in August thing, though. I'm going to start paying attention to that. And let's say next year, this time, we'll do a full report on it. So well, I can't speak to I think it yet. See, you can take Dwayne's place. That's right. Everybody has been missing that. Uh, well, I'm going to do some research, and I'll be ready for the next question like that I get. I'm glad this person mentioned that because I always think of the fogs in August because everybody's curious about how many mm-hmm. snowfalls are we going to get. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't think about that until November or December, and I, whoops, I forgot to count the fogs in August. I'm going to put a reminder on my calendar. Start counting fogs, <laughs> and then, you know, as soon here. as August 1st gets here, I'm going to remember that. Uh, you know, it's less than a week away. Oh, don't it? even say it. It's scary, Where is isn't it? Where the time it? going? It's this year. It's disappeared quickly. 615-893-1450 is our number, and a person uh, says... Uh, they have uh, the rose bushes that have created issues in the past. Mm-hmm. Rose blight, is that right? It's called rose rosette virus. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said that uh, they saved their bush, and it's doing pretty well. Uh, will it ever get totally well? Unfortunately, if it is the virus that we're speaking of, and what it what it does is it causes the new growth to distort, gets very thorny, gets twisted, gets very red, almost looks like a witch's broom is what it can be referred to as. And it's a viral infection. And unfortunately, even if you were to prune out the infected portion of the plant, it's still within the actual plant itself, and it'll re-manifest itself in other growing tissue. So there's really nothing that will cure it. Unfortunately, it is a... It's, it will just degrade that plant further and further, and each season it will just be a little worse. So not to be the bearer of bad news on this, but unfortunately there is no curative, and the plant will continue to decline. Okay, very good. Uh, another question here. This person is wanting to finally get a good-looking yard. They say they've tried everything. Uh, they're sort of at wit's end on that. Uh, is it too late to make a total clean of the yard? And start over again. Well, it's not too late, but we might say it's too early at this point. Too early. Too okay. early. So Better early than late. And it really depends on the type of grass you're wanting to plant. So if you're wanting to use a cool season grass, like a fescue grass, you know, that's what's, you know, a lot of the nicer houses here in Murfreesboro will have sod put down. And that's fescue, and they'll have irrigation is key with fescue because we're in the transition zone. So I tell people we grow a lot of grass in Tennessee, we just don't grow any grass particularly well. So we have the warm season grasses like Bermuda grass, which will go dormant in the winter. And then we have the cool season grasses like fescue that want to brown out in the summer. So if you want to sow in fescue, if you're going to have irrigation, usually that's done in September and October. 
So you would have time to prep your soil at this point. You know, you would want to spray down what the existing lawn, do a renovation process. Now, if you want to do something like a warm season turf, like zoysia or Bermuda, you've kind of missed the window there, in my opinion. You know, that really needs to be done in, you know, late May, early June, into early July. But at this point, you're kind of pushing your luck with trying to get any type of a warm season turf to establish, at least from seed. Now, if they do sod, you know, you can do sod at pretty much any time of year, warm season or cool season, as long as you're able to take care of it with irrigation and the proper steps that you would need to do with that. So it really depends on the turf type. You know, my suggestion is, you know, don't fight the natural climate here. You know, use a Bermuda grass. People hate on Bermuda because it has the, the running and trailing capacity to get into flower beds, but as a turf grass, it is extremely tough. It's very hardy. It tolerates the heat here in Tennessee. It can withstand quite a bit of drought as well, you know, versus your fescue turfs, your cool season grasses. They're going to need a lot of love, and they're going to need a lot of expensive water. So unless you have an irrigation system or a means to water that grass regularly throughout the warm season, it's going to be a struggle. Now, are you going to have a nice green grass about the same period of time that you would some of the others? In terms of the Bermuda? Yeah. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. only drawback with the Bermuda, one of the biggest uh, defects, I guess, is that it will go dormant in the wintertime. So, you know, in my home yard at home, what I'll do is I'll sow in a cool season turf like uh, perennial or annual ryegrass. Now, that stuff will stay green all winter long, and about the time that it dies out, usually in June, the Bermuda grass is starting to hit its stride. So, in theory, you can keep green grass all year round with Bermuda. It just takes an overseeding in the fall of a cool season turf. So you don't put them both down at the same time? Nope. The Bermuda grass is already there. It's established. You know, it's an actual long grass already. And then what I'll do is I'll aerate. Usually it's, you know, we try to say before Halloween. So usually about the first, second week of October, I'll go in, do a good core aeration, and then I will sow in either annual or perennial or a mix of ryegrasses at that time. And then it will green up and it will stay green just about the entire winter. And it really hits its stride in the springtime, you know, when everything is pretty brown. Uh, and it looks awesome. So does everybody have Bermuda grass to start with? You know, in a lot of places they do, yeah. And even if you've had fescue sod put down, and if there's one neighbor in the neighborhood that has Bermuda grass, well, before long everybody's going to have little patches of it here and there. <laughs> so, you know, common Bermuda is what it's called, and it, it grows just about anywhere and everywhere. You could put it on top of a driveway, and it's going to grow. You give it a little dust and a little water, it'll be just fine. So it's tough stuff and grows everywhere. There's another question. This one says, thank you for the information about the grass. I'm going to try that. I'm going to also hopefully add some trees. When is a good time to add trees? And if I wanted to add some fruit trees, is that more of a chore than it's worth? Okay, first question, when to plant trees? Fall is the best time. You know, this is probably the worst time right now because things are very stressed at this point. You think about a lot of the trees, you get them in the ground, they go into a shock period, and it's very hot, it's very dry, even though we've had rain. You know, summertime is really not the best. So going into fall, you know, usually October, November, December, pretty much any time throughout that winter time when the ground isn't frozen, even into late winter, you know, we're talking January, February, March, but I really prefer to do it in that November, October somewhere in there fruit trees so if you really want the fruit trees you can go for it but i will tell you this it's a lot of work uh here in tennessee again we have the humidity we have a lot of insect pressure a lot of disease pressure and you know Publix and kroger do a fine job of growing (laughs) (laughs) apples pears peaches and plums you know you know let me put it to you this way i don't own a fruit tree 
So you go to my property in Rockville, you won't find a fruit tree on that site. And I'm, I'm a quote-unquote expert. So it's just a lot of spraying, and people don't want to spray. I don't want to spray anything in my home landscape. So unless you're willing to go out there and treat routinely with some type of a, a fruit tree spray, it's really going to be a challenge to get that fruit to harvest and, and stay healthy. Have times changed? I, I, I mentioned this because when I was a kid, I don't remember my family, uh, my parents, uh, going extra hours keeping apple trees clean and working on them or cherry trees. But I remember climbing them and getting fresh apples and cherries. You know what I've observed over the course of my career is these old farmsteads, they'll have a pear tree or an apple tree, and they will just be prolific. And they will be healthy and happy. And I bet that's kind of how you grew up. These trees were probably there for a long time. Probably, yeah. I'm sure they were. And they probably did great. They were just, you know, the, that genetics was in that. This was from this area, I'm assuming. And they and they did fine. You know, have things changed? Not necessarily so. I think the weather has always been hot, humid, and, and crazy here in it Tennessee. Has. But, <laughs> you know, a lot of times these old farmstead trees that were well-established. You know, I've seen pear trees that are, gosh, they've got to be 60, 70, 80 years old, just massive, gnarly-looking things, and they will be so covered up with fruit, and no one ever even looks at them. They're an afterthought. You know, so these well-established trees seem to do well. Now, if you were to go out there and plant a brand-new modern pear tree right next to it in its place, you'd probably have a whole host of problems. So it doesn't necessarily mean that things have changed. It's just once trees are well-established and they've gotten comfortable with their environment, they seem to do really well. Okay. Uh, This one is a person who lives in an apartment, and they say, talk more about the gardening in raised beds. Uh, Tell us why is that good or if it is good. I'm a huge fan of raised bed gardening. That's all I do at my house. You know, I have a small vegetable garden and some perennial beds, and they're in raised beds. So you can also do it in planters. So if you're in an apartment complex and you can do large containers, you know, if you've got a pot, you know, you want at least 12 to 18 inches of soil depth. So that's the one thing. you got to have a pretty good-sized pot, or even if you're in a raised bed, you know, mine are at least 12 inches deep. That's key. And what you're basically doing is you're buying, you know, very rich, great you know, you get miracle grow bagged garden soil, and it is just spectacular. You know, if you can't grow something in that kind of soil, you, you probably shouldn't grow anything at all, <laughs> you know. But it's amazing what you can do in a small space. You know, there's a lot of new varieties on the market. If you go to places like Johnny's Seed Company, uh, they'll have patio, they'll call them patio tomatoes or patio peppers. And a lot of these plants are bred, they will stay short, and they will be prolific in production without taking up a lot of space. So I would do a little research on some of those varieties out there that are particularly great for patios or small spaces. I think the one struggle that a lot of folks have with apartments and and balconies is sunlight. You know, so you need at least 8 to 10 hours a day of good direct sunlight to really have a healthy garden plant or vegetable. So if, if you've got that and you've got the ability to put some big planters out there, you know, I'm a huge fan of doing container gardenings in small spaces because it's just a it's a it's a fun way to garden without having a huge, you know, inconvenience of an in-ground garden. Now, you mentioned uh, some type of soil to put in there. Mm-hmm. Is all the soil that you're going to buy good soil or should you stay away from some types? You know, most of the bag stuff that we get out at the box stores or at the local garden centers, it's going to be high quality, very rich in organic matter. It's going to hold water well. Now, the one thing I always get leery of is when someone tells me they've bought bulk topsoil. You know, well, I bought topsoil. I found this number on Facebook, and I called, and then I see the results. And a lot of times we just see is fill dirt. And what fill dirt is is just someone scraped off a bunch of hard clay and rocks off of a site. They put it 
in a truck and they called it topsoil. Well, that is not topsoil. So if you do buy soil in bulk, if you're getting it by the cubic yard or by the scoop, I always recommend asking, is it screened topsoil? And, and basically the screening process helps sift out all of the, the stuff that you don't want in the garden soil, basically the sticks, the stones, the debris, and you want something that's rich in organic matter. Not that we can't grow vegetables in clay, but a lot of times if it's just fill dirt, those clay clods will be like stone. I mean, they're huge, they're large, it takes a while to break down, and it's very poor quality. So that's the only word of caution I would give in regard to that. If you have that type of soil, can you continue your garden longer into the year, deeper into the year? You know, I think that you can because it holds moisture really well. It's extremely rich. It's very... You know, if you think about that that bagged miracle Grow soil that you get, I mean, it's like a sponge. So there there's a lot of water holding potential. Now you can you can have a great garden in our native Tennessee soils just as well as you can with that soil. But doing raised beds, you know, it's very much a controlled environment. So you have a lot more control over what's happening versus if you just have an in ground garden. Our phone number is six one five eight nine three fourteen fifty. Justin Stefanski is with us, Extension Agent with the Rutherford County Agricultural Extension Service. We're going to pause and check on the traffic and weather, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. He's local. Certified financial planner Jason Qualls. Financial Coaching Radio. Weekdays at 4 on News Radio WGNS. Are you tired of constantly spending money on sprays and other things to control mosquitoes around your home? If so, come by Holden Hardware and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. When used properly, the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators will kill mosquitoes. Come by Holden Hardware on the square and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. This year, make mosquito control easier and cheaper. Come by Holden Hardware on the square and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. Do you suffer from peripheral neuropathy in your hands or feet, burning pain, balance problems, and a decreased quality of life? Magnolia Medical Center can help. This is Dr. David Morris with Magnolia Medical Center, across the street from the hospital and the Ascend Federal Credit Building. Online at magnoliamedicalcenters.com. WGNS is powered by Middle Tennessee Electric. MTE has a solar expert and energy services supervisor to help its members understand if solar is right for them and help members avoid possible scams from outside parties. Learn more at mte.com slash prosolar. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, nothing helps my family more than having the Demas's baked chicken and rice soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother, and we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by any time today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick, or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant. Hi, this is Dan at Music World and Drummer's Den. If you need music gear, Music World and Drummer's Den is where you need to be. We have PA equipment, we have microphones, speakers, we have stage lighting, pretty much everything you need at Music World and Drummer's Den. Oh yes, we often beat internet prices at Music World and Drummer's Den. We are Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. 
Good morning. We're still watching a move this wreck on 24 eastbound off-ramp at Ellington Parkway. That truck that laid over on its side remains over there on Jefferson Street on that bridge, or on that ramp, rather, uh, near that bridge. Again, that's Jefferson Street tied up on that ramp to I-40. It's he still heavy coming in from West Nashville right now, but it's moving 40 east here at Whitebridge Pike. Nash Painting Services all in Middle Tennessee. Check them out at nashpainting.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. We'll see a few scattered showers and storms here for this afternoon with cloudy skies, a high of 90 degrees. Tonight's slight chance for storms, a low near 71. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 76. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. The Wake Up Crow, weekday morning, 6 to 7.50. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Rutherford County's place to talk. Happy birthday to Walter Wiley. Walter Wiley. And he is the winner of that delicious banana pudding from the Slick Pig Barbecue. Our good neighbor of the day today is J. Paul Newman, always helping others, always encouraging others, a positive person in our community, J. Paul Newman. And he's going to receive flowers from Jenny Harrison and the family at Ryan Flowers Coffee and Gifts. I'll bet you know somebody who should be the good neighbor of the day. Let us know who they are. Send us their name, address, and phone number and tell us why. They should be the good neighbor of the day. Justin Stefanski is our guest this morning. He's an extension agent with the Rutherford County Agricultural Extension Service. I don't want the program to slip away without us reminding you tomorrow is a big, big day. What happens tomorrow? Oh, gosh, I'm not sure what happens tomorrow. It starts at 7 o'clock in the morning and goes until noon tomorrow. Was there an eclipse? Somewhere uh, on Earth. An eclipse located right there at 316 John R. Rice Boulevard. Oh, and that farm's is the market. farmer's market. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> apparently my coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Goodness gracious. Yeah, the farmer's market on Fridays this year has been absolutely phenomenal. We, it's also on Tuesdays as well. But I encourage you guys to come out and see us. I mean, we uh, our market manager, Heather, has done a fantastic job. of. We have the artisans and crafts folks that are on one side of the community center there. And then, of course, your traditional farm crops and uh, all your go-tos, your meats, your veggies, flowers, nursery plants. They're going to be on the right side. And then the Master Gardeners are outside at our demonstration gardens at the Pavilion to help answer questions. You can come out and tour our gardens. We've also got food trucks this year. So it's really been an, a tremendous market year for us. I think she said sales were up somewhere around 38% from last wow, year. Don't great. quote me on that, but it's close to that. So, you know, we really appreciate the community coming out and seeing us and helping support our local agriculture uh, producers here in Rutherford County. So that is tomorrow, every, in fact, every Tuesday and Friday. Tuesdays and Fridays, yes, Farmer's sir. Market right there at the Ag Center. Then on Saturdays, the Farmer's Market on the Murfreesboro Square, 8 in the morning until noon, all around the courthouse. About that same time, I understand in Smyrna, they're having a Farmer's Market there at the Train Depot. So Very lots nice. of opportunities. Absolutely. And uh, the big question is, is there plenty of uh, f- fresh area uh, honey. There is actually every year, every week at the market, I see honey production. 
uh, and there's always somebody there. I think we have two or three of our producers that will have honey with them. You know, I'm a beekeeper now myself. I've got my first hive this year, and I think I'm going to get at least two or three gallons of honey, so I can't cool. wait. Yeah. yeah. Really excited about it. So, yeah, getting local honey is really awesome. They they say it helps with allergies, and I believe that it does. Well, I, I, we had a person who used to come up here all the time in her 90s running up the steps in high heels. Oh, my goodness. She took uh, vinegar and honey every day. Maybe that's what I need to do. I don't, I don't do any know, running do of steps to... anymore, so maybe I need some vinegar and honey. <laughs> and put on high heels. Maybe that will help as well. I don't know. It's a good way to get hurt, sounds like. Speaking of bugs and stuff, uh, we have a text here from a listener who's having a, she says, I'm getting a lot of beetles. I used to play with them as kids, put them on the strings, <laughs> but uh, are they, <laughs> I don't do that anymore, uh, but uh, are they possible uh, problem in the area? Do they create issues well it depends really on the type of beetle now if you look if they're on your plants and they're feeding you know like we have japanese beetles that will come out in june and they're very voracious feeders of foliage you know we also have other feeding insects that are you know beetle-like that will feed on foliage and can actually cause some damage to the plants a lot of the beetles that we see though are pretty harmless they're either going to be uh you know wood boring beetles now they can cause a lot of damage to trees obviously but most of them are just doing their own thing, minding their own business. You know, if you look out at your back porch every night and you look up at the light, you will see a whole host of beetles that are flying around that light. And those are basically the adult version of what we see in the ground and in the soil as grub worms. You know, we have a lot of grub beetles. That's the immature stage. So, you know, as long as you're not seeing them causing any visible damage to your plants, I would just enjoy them, maybe try to catch one and put it back on a string. But, you know, it really depends on the type of beetle. But overall, though, most of them are minding their own business. I think our questions come in cycles. We ask, somebody asks a question, then somebody else has another one. This one's about cicadas. Cicadas. Are we seeing any of those around the area? And if not, when will that be? The big emergence will be next year. So just go ahead and prepare for the noise, the cacophony of sound. So next year is the emergence of the periodical cicadas. Now, every year we will have a certain number of cicadas that emerge. You know, we've got the periodical ones. We've also got the big dog face cicadas that are much bigger. So we're going to have them every summer. You'll hear them up in the trees. But next year will be the year for the big emergence for the periodical cicadas. So they will be here in force. What do cicadas do other than singing you music? So what they do (laughs) is the females will actually lay eggs inside the branches of tender limbs on trees. So if you remember back, you know, in previous seasons when we've had periodical cicadas, you may have noticed little incisions in small tender twigs on trees and then as those incisions kind of that they scab over you'll notice that a lot of those those branches had some some wound marks on them and they actually some of them could have fallen off the tree so you know they do do some damage to to young tender trees but in the most sense though they don't do any major harm uh but but they will be out in force next year and you may notice this just look on the underside of a tender limb or tree and you'll notice tiny little incisions where that female has a sharp knife part that she'll insert eggs in on the underside of those branches, and that's what causes it. Okay, so I'll try, here's a cicada right here. Oh, yeah. Sure is. We're going to hear a lot of that next summer. And that, that lets you know summer is here. Summer will be here in force next year, I'll tell you. It's an so, interesting insect, isn't it? It is, Well, yeah, it is. It is a very interesting but do they kill trees? Is that what their problem is? They, they don't kill trees. You know, a lot of times, even if they're totally covered up with cicadas and the females are laying eggs, you know, most trees are able to, to completely be fine. You know, they may affect some young tender limbs, but in a general sense, they will not hurt the trees at all. 
Okay. So there you have it, the early information on cicadas. Yes, sir. And, and do those come in regions? Um, would we get them? And then the next county over gets them the, down the road? It's so, more regionally specific, like uh, we're talking the Midwest, the Southeast. Oh, okay. You know, big so regions. Big regions, yeah. So this, this, all of Middle Tennessee will see the periodical cicada emergence section. Now, you may go up to Ohio, and it will be the cycle will be a little bit different there based on the weather conditions. But it will be a widespread area. Okay, uh, this person, uh, another one here, this one's asking about uh, problems moving into the area. We're always hearing things like we're getting this bug moving in or this that's uh, killing trees. And Are there any moving into our area that we need to be aware of, and is there anything we can do if they come into the area? Well, there's one that's already here, and it, it is one that's extremely harmful. It's the emerald ash borer. And this is a, a green metallic wood boring beetle from Southeast Asia. It started out in Upper East Tennessee and has worked its way across the state westward. And it is devastating our ash trees. So the host tree for this particular beetle is ash trees. And if you drive around town and you and you look at any ash tree, there's a good chance you're going to see some dieback occurring. You look at the tips of the branches, they'll start to have no foliage on them. And I have gotten so many calls or seen so many instances of this insect. Basically, it's it's eating the trees alive more wow. or less yeah it gets into the trunk of the tree it destroys the vascular tissue and it it's a death sentence for ash trees so about the only thing you can do for preventative on this is to use some type of a drench type insecticide where you're actually applying it to the soil and the tree roots are sucking it up into the, all the growing parts of that tree we do it during the growing season if you try to do it when the tree's dormant it's not going to do anything because the tree isn't actively pulling in that moisture from the soil there's another one that's coming out and it's already up in areas of the northeast and the midwest it's called the spotted lantern fly and it's actually a it's a pretty insect it's a beautiful insect it, it looks like a moth and it'll have white spots black wings with a red banded area um, and it is devastating for for younger trees it, it causes a lot of damage now i don't think that they're here in rutherford county yet but I would encourage your listeners to look up spotted lanternfly, have an idea of what they look for, and just if you see them, let us know, because we would need to know of it pretty soon. Now, this emerald ash borer that you mentioned of killing trees, is that the one that's devastated the Great Smoky Mountains? It is not, but that is another insect. That was the woolly adelgid, the hemlock woolly adelgid up in the Smokies. You'll drive through, and you'll just see brown trees everywhere, you know, just the remnants of a what used to be. A whole forest. A whole forest, yeah. That was the hemlock woolly adelgid, and it affected the hemlock trees up in the Appalachian Mountain Range, and it, it was devastating. I think they have managed it to a degree where it's kind of under control at this point, but it certainly has caused you know severe dieback in our forest up in the mountains. How do we get these? I mean, you don't have them for generations, then all of a sudden the whole place is gone. You know, for example, the emerald ash borer, they believe it was actually inside a shipping crate. And when I say inside, I'm talking the larval stage was actually inside the wood that was constructed from Asia. They, you know, they, they build these pallets and shipping crates there, and that adult beetle will lay eggs inside of a tree and those eggs hatch out and they are, they're like a white grub worm more or less they believe that these insects were actually inside either a shipping pallet or some type of a cargo box and international trade has transferred more invasive exotic pests than anything else you know we live in an international global economy so you know goods and, and things are being traded across oceans and that's a lot of times that's how they get here so when people say why did we not have that when i was growing up we didn't have all this 
uh, stuff being shipped into us. Exactly. And unfortunately, the problem is, is let's let's say ash borer. You know, in Asia, you know, they have ash trees or, or versions of ash trees there, but there are natural predators that keep these things under control. Well, they come here. There's no natural predators for the emerald ash borer. So they are just running amok, and there's nothing to control their population. And, and you're right. When you were a kid, even when I was a kid, they weren't here. You know, they've probably really become a nuisance in the last 10 to 15 years. You know, it first started out in the Midwest, the Northeast, and in certain spots out West, and now it's just about everywhere in the United States. This person uh, texts now about gardening again. Uh, They're wanting to know what their next crop should be. The next crop. So you've got time to do some warm season stuff if you get it in the ground today. So like beans, squash, cucumbers. Um, you can also start thinking about doing some cool season veggies. As we go into to August and September, we can look at our coal crops, our leafy greens. You know, some of those cool season veggies can be, but again, we're a little early on that. You want to look at maybe late August, early September, carrots, lettuce, things like that. Okay, so you can be thinking about some of those. Uh, I saw some, an article about uh, tomatoes. And they were square for shipping. Uh, how do people make square tomatoes? And there used to be a whole group of people who planted some very different-looking tomatoes. Well, they don't grow square naturally. What they do is they actually put them in a. Usually, it's a plexiglass frame or a box. Okay. Or some type of a, a of a basically a square box. So as this tomato is maturing, they put it over the tomato before it's mature, and as it ages, it's the parameters of that box will keep it refined to a square. You know, in Asia and Japan in particular, the square watermelons were a craze. And some of these square watermelons I've seen, they, they auction these things off, and they sell for thousands upon thousands of dollars. Really? It is a real thing there. So, you know, I've yet to see a square tomato here, but I know that they, it can be done, and they're out there. And they don't taste any different. There's the same exact taste, the same fruit, <laughs> just in a square. Yeah, pretty unique. Be a conversation piece if you had a restaurant <laughs> that sold BLTs, and they were all square tomatoes. There's an opportunity for somebody there you around. There Some- Uh, We won't even charge you for that. (laughs) Our phone number is 615-893-1450. We're going to pause, check on the weather. We will return. That's not a threat. It's a promise. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Come see us for all your gardening needs. We'd have everything you want for those gardens and your lawns. If you're needing special gifts or if you're trying to take care of your feathered friends and furry friends, please come see us. Tina, where are you located? The Rutherford Co-op is located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. And you don't have to be a member to shop here. The Rutherford Farmers Co-op on Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off South Church. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Rising interest rates are making the news, but what if you need a new car to get to work? At Heritage South Community Credit Union, we help when others won't. 
and we could help you get a break from your interest rate when purchasing anything that rolls or floats. This includes newer used autos, boats, RVs, motorcycles, and more. But hurry, this limited time offer ends soon. You can learn more or apply online at heritagesouth.org. Terms and conditions apply. Insured by NCUA. We'll see a few scattered showers and storms here for this afternoon with cloudy skies, a high of 90 degrees. Tonight's slight chance for storms, a low near 71. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 76. There are places where people talk, and then there are places that people talk about. News Radio WGNS is both on air, online, and on the phone. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of our broadcast this morning, and we're focusing on lawns and gardens, making them beautiful for you. And everybody's out there saying, thank goodness for all this rain. Uh, It's made it uh, a green yard. It has done that, but Justin has said it's also creating some issues in the garden, and uh, that's humidity which is creating disease, especially in tomatoes, is that Especially right? hard on the tomato crop this year. Okay, so be aware of that, but uh, not a whole lot you can do about it. Uh, put fans on them, maybe? I don't know. I mean, you could go that route, but yeah, try to keep that foliage <laughs> dry, try to get airflow. You know, rotation is really key, too. A lot of folks will grow tomatoes in the same spot every year, and that's never a good practice. Try to rotate the spot in which you grow them in the garden, because if you do have a diseased leaf, and it hits the soil in that spot, well, those spores will overwinter. And as soon as it gets warm and humid next spring, guess what happens? Those spores reemerge. And if you're growing a tomato in that exact same spot of ground, you're going to have that same disease. So doing a rotation uh, with those certain crops in your garden, like tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, they're all in the same plant family. You'd want to grow those in a different spot. Maybe put beans in that spot next year, cucumbers, and then do like a, a rotational, clockwise rotation of those different plant groups across the garden. So it's probably good to plan that out in advance. Absolutely. I always tell people, keep a good plan, make you know notes of what you grew where, and lay your garden out. Uh, you know, planning is really key into having a successful garden. And of course, the key to planning is knowledge. Exactly. And knowledge it. is what the master gardeners offer. That's that is what we peddle knowledge. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, you know, I'm the advisor for the Rutherford County Master Gardener Program. We have a, a phenomenal group about about a hundred folks, and you know, we will start taking applications for the 2024 Master Gardener Training. Probably this fall, you know, it'll, we'll put some information out, you know, August, September. I would encourage you to, to come by the office or check our website out, rutherford.tennessee.edu. We have a gardening link up at the top, and on there we'll have our Master Gardener application. Classes will begin in late January and will run through late April, and they will be Tuesday mornings from 9 to noon. So we'll have an in-classroom portion followed by a hands-on activity. We do field hikes. We do hands-on propagation, and, and it's just a phenomenal course. You know, it'll be 14 weeks of study, and if you're interested in learning more, but really the goal of the Master Gardener program is to be trained to train others. You know, it's to give back, to, to do volunteer service. So it really is the best of both worlds. If you have a heart for volunteering and for helping people in your community, but also you want to have that knowledge, you know, that really is a perfect combination. Are they still offering a program at the Lineball Library as well as doing a podcast? Absolutely. Our folks, the Master Gardeners, do a class at the library every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. You can go on the library's website. They've got a listing of those classes. They also do a podcast that is on the library site as well. So those are out there. They're available for the community, and, and they're a huge hit. Okay. So 
Does it cost money to be a master gardener? To do the master gardener program, it's $175 to take the class. And what you get is you get a phenomenal resource. It's the master gardener intern training manual. Plus, you get to go through the course. And then at the end of that, if you complete your volunteer hours, you'll become a certified green badge-wearing master gardener from Tennessee. It's pretty cool. That is cool. Do they get together and share ideas uh, for for life, I guess you could say? (laughs) For life, absolutely. And we also have a lot of social interactions. We have a monthly association meeting. We actually just had ours this past Monday. So we have a uh, a potluck dinner, usually followed by an educational speaker. And then we have a short business meeting. But we have so many projects throughout the county where folks can get together. They can collaborate. You know, it really is a great way to meet folks and to have a, a good bond socially as well. One thing we have not talked about, which I really enjoy, when I go over to the Lane Agri-Park, you have uh, sample plots of grass. You have gardens all around the place that you can look at and see what a butterfly garden looks like, see what a water garden looks like, all of these different things. Tell us, what are the benefits of those? You know, we have a treasure here in Rutherford County. You know, we are probably one of the luckiest extension facilities. In my opinion, it's the best one across the state. And just like you've said, we've got the capacity and the land to do these demonstration plots, to bring the public out, and our goal is to educate. So when folks come out, you know, we will teach classes throughout the year. Mitchell Moat maintains the turf plots. What a resource that is, just to see different turf grasses growing in a real-world environment. It's so much better to see something versus just looking it up on the internet mitchell does an outstanding job of of bringing folks out there and and he loves to talk about grass so let me tell you right now if you have a grass question mitchell mode at the office is your guy you know and then if you go farther onto the property we have a rain garden we have butterfly gardens we have small fruits we have blueberries blackberries fruit trees and then of course the veggie garden is just phenomenal our folks are there that manage those the master gardeners i just cannot thank them enough for their hard work and dedication we do composting and we also have the perennial gardens around the pavilion there we have native plant gardens we have herb gardens i don't think i've missed anything but my goodness it is really hitting its stride right now i'm glad you mentioned the composting because that always sounds difficult and it sounds like a something that people could easily make some mistakes with. You can. The biggest thing that you don't want to ever do with compost, you don't want to try to compost anything meat-related, anything that is a, a meat scrap of any kind, because it can contain some pretty harmful pathogens. But any of your kitchen vegetable scraps, coffee grounds are a phenomenal compost source. You know, grass clippings, leaves. Basically, you want to get that ratio of, we call it green to brown. So the green stuff would be the the uh anything with water in it so if you've got a a peppercorn or lettuce scraps that would be a green versus your brown would be something like you know dried leaves you want to have those in combination usually in in about equal ratios and that helps the digestion process kick start and those microbes will break that down and turn it into the most beautiful free source of of garden soil you can imagine here's another question for you what would be the reason why my hydrangeas are not blooming at all but have beautiful foliage. I just uh, put them out last year, and they bloomed then. Uh, please help me. So it, depending on the type of hydrangea, you know, some require shade, and some require part shade, and some like full shade. It sounds like you may have these, and I'm, I don't know for sure, but it may be getting too much shade. It could also be the type and if you did any pruning. So some of the hydrangeas, like the old you know, lace cap and the oak leaf hydrangeas, if you prune those, you have basically pruned off the bud. So if you pruned them last fall, 
the flower buds for the next season were already set. So keep that in mind. Any type of pruning on an oak leaf or the old lace cap, mop head type hydrangeas, those will have to be left, and you don't prune them till after they flower. But it could just be not getting enough sunlight, you know, and, and it could be a result of also the freeze that we had last December 23rd. It took its toll on a lot of plants. I had irises in my garden this year that didn't bloom, and I solely attribute it to the fact of the weather. You know, I've never seen an iris not bloom. Usually, no, that's those a hardy plant. That's a very hardy here. plant. But the stress that that freeze, you know, those plants really endured a shocking event. So, you know, give it hope. I hope maybe this hydrangea will come back and bloom next year. If it's not, maybe think about putting it in a spot where you get slightly more sun. You know, it needs sunlight to initiate that bud formation. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of beautiful green leafy hydrangeas that are phenomenal, but there's just too much shade. But they're not going to put put off the flowers that you want. A person is saying that uh, they have had irises in their yard for 35 years. Friends gave them the bulbs uh, over the years, and each one has a special place in their heart. But most of them did not come up this year. Should I Mm. wait and hope they come up next year, or should I start replanting irises? I would wait. You know, I really would, because, you know, a lot of those plants that, and especially irises, I'm hopeful that those irises are still in the ground. The tubers are there. What you might want to try to do is uncover the tuber and see if you see any healthy tissue. Now, if you go underground and you're looking at that tuber and it is basically sunken in, it's brown, very dark colored brown or soft, then those tubers may be completely gone. But those rhizomes should be fleshy. They should be white. And if you see any sign of life on them, I would leave them and and hope that next year they come back with a vengeance. And on that note, we want to say a special thank you to Extension Agent Justin Stefanski for joining us. My pleasure. And don't forget the Farmer's Market in the morning, 7 until noon at the Lane Agri-Park. And, of course, up on the square Saturday from 8 in the morning until noon. And in Smyrna, Saturday, 8 until noon at the Train Depot. The Good Neighbor Network, WGNS, Murfreesboro, Smyrna, flagship station for MTSU Sports. Courthouse clock time, 9 o'clock. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron George.